Welcome to Dharma Live Online. Good to see everybody. Um, we have been working for some time now uh, in the teachings on mindfulness. Um, as you all know, I'm sure mindfulness is a big popular concept nowadays. And whether you, you come at mindfulness from the Theravada insight tradition or secular mindfulness and all the different MBIs, mindfulness-based interventions, mindfulness-based stress reduction and all of those things. The one thing that's kind of helpful, you know, and it's not always true, but mostly I would say by and large, any instructions you've ever gotten on the on the teachings of mindfulness, any guided practices you've ever done, uh, originate in this text called the Satipatthana Sutta. So that's what we've been going through. And the Satipatthana Sutta uh, is a very well organized, very stitched over uh, teaching, really quite good, very instructional, very practical. Um, been translated, and many books have been written about it. Kind of a fascinating, uh, kind of a VCR manual for the mind, what to do with this mind. And, and, it, and it's correlated into what they call four foundations, which are the so Satipatthana. Sati means like memory, recognition, mind, uh, remember to recognize. So, so, so Sati is really just in a very kind of nuts and bolts kind of way. The, the function of it is to remember to recognize something. And, if, and to recognize what? Well, there's all kinds of things. So, but it's about remembering to recognize. So the opposite of that would be forgetting. You know, we forget things all the time. And then tana, uh, not tanha as in craving. People get confused sometimes. It's not. It's t h a n a tana means that's where the foundation comes from. Foundation is actually not the best translation. A, a, a tana is a ground. So it, it's really actually kind of ground is a better word, but it would be weird to call it, instead of calling it mindfulness, imagine if we called it remember grounded, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, so that there's a, there's a way in which they had to kind of make it, they needed to stitch it together so it made some kind of sense. But really, I think in many ways, and this is a word that we use a lot colloquially, which I think is good. We, we say the word grounded, we want to be more grounded. And really, essentially, that's that's kind of what we're trying to do with this practice. We're trying to be more grounded. And so the foundations of mindfulness start with the ground of the body, which we've gone through. Uh, you know, so we how do we live when we live in the present moment, as they say, um, you know, part of that is to live more in the body and to pay more attention to the body, to be more in tune with the body, the, the emotional body, the somatic body. Uh, and and also the the good thing about the body is the body is always present moment. The m m body doesn't remember, it doesn't analyze, it doesn't assess, it doesn't predict, it doesn't control. It ju it just has feeling and sensation basically all the time. So we've gone through that. Tonight we're going to begin. I don't know how many weeks it'll take us. Probably not too long. Probably one of the most quintessential teachings in the entire Dharma. So it's important is what's called feelings. Uh, or Vedana, feeling tone. Um, to just say a little bit about this word, I think that's helpful, is that the way that they use feeling in the Pali discourses, the way that the Buddha is using feeling, is way more narrowly defined than the way that we use feeling in English. We use feeling in such a wide, broad way. We could say, I, we, could, we could talk about it as how I'm feeling, like I feel happy or I feel sad. We can, 
we can use it as in, a, in a preferential sense. Like I'm feeling like having Italian, not Chinese. Um, we can talk about how we're feeling physically. I feel warm. I feel cold. Um, we use it, you know, we use it in such a wide variety of ways that we've almost deemed the term kind of useless in a weird sort of way. So when we, this is one of the areas when we start to, when language gets to be a problem. So the way that we're talking about feeling and mindfulness and Dharma and the way we're talking about it in English are very, very different. So I'll just read what they talk. So in technical terms, the Pali term for feeling is Vedana, derived from the verb Vadati, which means to both feel and to know. So Vedana means, so I, so I feel hot and I know that I'm hot. It's both feeling and knowing. So there's an element of affectiveness. The affect is I'm outside in the sun. It's 100 degrees. That's a hot feeling. But I also know that I'm hot. Right? So it, it's a both. This is where it also gets really complicated. In its usage in the discourses, Vedana, or feeling, comprises both bodily and mental feelings. So, you know, we have like, you know, if I'm outside in the hot sun, that's the bodily feeling hot, right? So there's a felt sense, there's a sensation, uh, but also there's mental feelings. And so what is a mental feeling? Um, this is very important, but also a bit complicated. A mental feeling, probably the word that we would use that would make the most sense would be something like mood. So a mood is a kind of mental feeling. I feel grumpy. I feel, uh, you know, um, stubborn. Uh, I feel frustrated. So it, 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 it's also in the third foundation, it's a bit, we might call it a mental state, but there is a mental feeling. And so we could also say in a way that it, it, it is a bit of moody, but also it, it's also just a phenomenon of a thought. Like, have you noticed that you've had you've had thoughts that are pleasant thoughts? I like this thought. And you also have thoughts that are unpleasant. I don't like this thought. I don't like this kind of thinking. So even a thought has Vedana in it. So this is where it gets complicated because when people think about feeling, they generally, and this is really poorly taught by the meditation community, frankly, is that they oftentimes, they, they, they narrowly define it by basically feeling is um, a physical sensation, which it is, but it's also a mental feeling. Um, so that's where it gets to be a little bit tricky. Uh, Vedana does not include emotion in its range of meaning, although emotions arise dependently on the initial input provided by feeling. So when we have an emotion like anger, anger feeling Vedana is inputting data into the anger, but they're not, they're actually a bit different. Um, Emotions are more complex mental phenomena that bear feeling itself and therefore is in the domain, what he says, of the next Satipatthana contemplation of mental states, which I actually would argue against. Biko Nayu doesn't really know much about emotional intelligence because um, 
actually, this is a big, this is also a big problem. Maybe we'll actually at some point down the road do this if you guys want to. Uh, the word emotion really doesn't fit well in any Buddhist system. The, the, the word emotion, as we know it in English, the universal emotions, anger, fear, fear, sadness, joy, contempt, disgust, shame. We have, a, we have a scientific evolutionary biological perspective on emotions that's very sophisticated and really, really good and really, really important that Buddhism doesn't really address as well as we do in modern science terms. So th this is kind of a problem. So when you look at classic Buddhist languages like Pali, Tibetan, Sanskrit, Chinese, they don't actually have a word for emotion, not the way that we think about it in English. So this is where it gets to be a little bit complicated. Um, I hope that's not too confusing. It's actually, I think, really quite important. So um, feeling being more narrowly defined is really just an understanding of the range. So we just call it a range. So basically we're dealing with in a simple way is the pleasure pain dichotomy, which I'm sure you're all familiar with. And the theory is the Buddhist theory and also the theory from evolutionary psychology, psychology would say that you already know that we don't like unpleasant. We resist unpleasant and we like, and we cling to pleasant. Have you noticed that you do this? Right. Duh. You know, you know, but that that that's where the that's where the trouble begins. That's the whole trouble is that we are we are we're actually programmed, you know, by by a you know a millions of years old of biological instinct to reject unpleasant feeling and to be attracted to pleasant feelings, which probably on the Serengeti Plain many many years ago wasn't a big problem, but nowadays it's a huge problem. So, so having mindfulness of this is helpful. So again, when we're, when we're trying to remember, and it's also too, people get confused about this. We're not trying to concentrate on feeling tone. It's not concentration of feeling tone. It's mindful. So it's not this like, this like hypervigilant, like trying to monitor, like, is this pleasant? Is it unpleasant? What is it? It's not so much that it's just getting a, uh, a general sense, a felt sense of the overall global feeling that I'm having. We would use the word in clinical sense, we, and this is a good word, is affect. Affect with an A. Uh, affective. So another way to say that, what we develop with mindfulness of feeling tone is affective intelligence. We're intelligent about the way things affect me. And I know how things affect me. And I'm aware of how things affect me. And I'm also um, willing to acknowledge that for the most part, by and large, I'm powerless over how things affect me. Right? If something bothers me, I don't sit there and get to choose whether it bothers me or not. It just fucking bothers me. Like, I get frustrated. I get irritated. There's not much choice involved with those things, right? And so, so, so when we start to, this is important. You don't have any agency over feeling. Like, if I walked into your living room and kicked you in the leg right now, it would be unpleasant and you would be pissed at me. Like, it, you know what I mean? Like, there's just no way around it. <laughs> 
So the the initial input, the affect of feeling tone is just something that we have to be mindful of and we don't really have any control or agency over it. Like when you bite into a piece of food, how much thinking do you, how much confusion do you have about whether you like it or whether you don't like it? You're not like, gee, is this salad good? Is you don't, you just know immediately. You're like, I like this. I'm going to eat more. I don't like this. I'm not eating any more of this. It's just so automatic, right? So this is just an automatic thing that, you know, we don't want to, um, and this is also really, really helpful because what is it that we take personally? Feeling. I'm angry. I'm a grumpy guy. I'm an aversive person. We really, we really take personally how we're feeling. And the Buddha's trying to really help us not do that. He's trying to say, be mindful of the feeling, but don't become the feeling. So can you be aware of the conditions of the feeling? Can I be aware of how I'm feeling without becoming that feeling? Now, it's wicked easy for me to sit here and say this. This is hard. This is hard, but so valuable, so valuable. I mean, this is like in many ways, this is kind of the moment that the Buddha is singling out and saying, this is the shit you want to pay attention to because unchecked feeling, it will ruin your life. You know, the, 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 the chasing after pleasure and the, and the pushing away of pain. I mean, really, that is kind of how addiction operates. I mean, that, that's, where it all, that's where the trouble begins is, is because what happens is the input provided by feeling affects how I perceive things, how I feel, the mood I have about things, the stance I have about things. And so it's also a, a huge predictor of behavior. Right? And I don't know about you, but I have done some very, very weird, destructive, debaucherous things to avoid unpleasantness. I've also done some very destructive, debaucherous, ridiculous things to try to acquire pleasure. And I really don't think that I'm alone on this one. And so if I'm not mindful of that, if I'm not checking that, if I'm not aware that I, that I basically live inside an organism that is totally programmed to operate from this, I mean, this is, this is actually why the world is in such a fucking mess. It's because everybody's reacting to how they're feeling. They're reacting to how other people are feeling. They're taking it personally. They're trying to control. I mean, that, that's really kind of the way that addiction also manifests is as this insane delusion that you can control how you feel. And the problem with drugs is they fucking work. You know, if you want to change how you feel, if that's all you're, if, if that's all you're interested in is changing how you feel, then buy a, have, have at it, man. You just do drugs. But the problem is it doesn't last. It creates these weird side effects. You know, it, it's not really worth it. So, you know, there's so many teachings that really rest on our ability to, to bring mindfulness. So what we, so what do we want to do? What can we actually do? Well, what we can do 
is we being, we can become aware we can become mindful of how we're feeling and we can change or we can intervene the way that we react and or respond to how we feel. That's what you can do. And that is insanely counter instinctual. That's just really hard. You know, it's like, you know, the alcoholic who wants to stop drinking, but seemingly can't, you know, so, so, you know, th this, this is also where habituation gets in everything, all the, all the kind of shit that wreaks havoc on our life sneaks in through this door. You know, all destructive behavior is smuggled through the door of feeling. So back to the pleasure pain dichotomy. Um, the other way that it's taught, which I think is actually unhelpful and a bit uh, just kind of incorrect, uh, is that usually, and you've probably all heard this, if you hear a teaching or you go to a class or you read a Dharma book on feeling tone, you usually they usually narrowly define it in terms of there's unpleasant feelings, there's pleasant feelings, and then there's neutral feelings. It's usually pleasant, unpleasant, and neutral. I suspect you've heard this before. That's not, that's actually incorrect. There's, there's, there's pleasure, there's pain, and then there's not pleasure, not pain, which I understand why in Western thought they just decided to call that neutral. But, but that the problem with that is it narrowly, it basically gives you three boxes. It's either unpleasant, pleasant, or neutral. So neutral, the, the actual literal definition. So you have sukha and dukkha. Dukkha is actually, interestingly enough, the word for unpleasant feelings. So that, you, as you know, I, I harp on this all the time. Buddhists try to put an end to suffering. So if dukkha is unpleasant feelings, I don't know how the hell you're going to put an end to that. You're going to put an end to unpleasant vedana? Better get out your crack pipe because that's really the only way that works. So... You know, you have you have dukkha unpleasant, you have sukha pleasant, and then you have this word that says basically on sukha on dukkha, which means not pleasant, not painful. It's it's ambiguous. It's really probably indifferent. So if you look at it, it's not like there's three options. There's like the pleasant box, the unpleasant box, and the neutral box. There's pleasure and there's pain, and then there's everything in the middle. You know, there's pain number 10, there's pain number five. There's, you know, there, there's a range of these things. And so somewhere in the middle it, middle zone is this territory that we, it doesn't have a charge. It doesn't have, it doesn't have Vedna in the sense of it's not pleasant. It's not unpleasant. Well, what is it? It's just not either of those. That's a big territory. That's not just a category or a box. And the reason why this is so important, um, so important, is that the other thing about this neutral area, there I use that word now, uh, this kind of indifferent zone, I would actually use the word ambiguous, is that it doesn't have intensification. Like pleasure and pain have intensification. There can be a little bit of pain, there can be a lot of pain, but there's not like levels of indifference or levels of ambiguous it's just not either of those things now the interesting thing is 
what triggers our attention so that the organism is triggered to avoid avoid pain and acquire pleasure so when there's pleasure or there's pain the attention races out to those kinds of objects and says get rid of this or get that now if it's if it's in that middle zone the attention doesn't really get triggered so we just kind of can space out there's no there's no survival mechanism so basically when things are not pleasant nor unpleasant we sort of don't know what to do you know we're just kind of confused so you have greed hatred and confusion greed for pleasant hatred of pain confusion about the middle you know and so the, the, what we really want to do and this is actually i think quite fascinating and i can't believe people don't teach it more is the theory is is that when you look at this middle zone if there's mindfulness if if there's actually mindfulness is an active there's memory and recognition remembering to recognize how i'm feeling right now and if it's a neutral indifferent ambiguous zone then it becomes pleasant because it becomes deep contentment it becomes ease it becomes enjoyment it becomes because if there's nothing to get or nothing to get rid of there is an ability for us to just tune into that and just be truly well to actually just have real deep contented well-being if there's mindfulness if there's not mindfulness then that experience becomes very unpleasant because we become bored we become apathetic we become cynical uh we become very disinterested i'm not interested in anything i'm not an interesting person i'm bored i'm boring and it even can get so extreme that it actually can start even to take on a kind of despair where you get into the kind of uh Camus, John Paul Sartre absurdity of it all. You're like, life is just this big meaningless nothing bullshit, you know, because you're just, you know, so so the the, the middle zone can actually have that range of experience. So with mindfulness of feeling, what you really want to do, of course, is to just generally notice do I really need to get this? And do I, do I really need to try to acquire this? And do I really need to try to avoid this? We work with those. That's usually what we work on in the early stages of our practice, because it's just obvious, right? You're like, man, all I do is want and shit and not want shit. That's like basically my life. And if you look back to the definition of Satipatthana, which we talked about a few weeks ago, this is where the Buddha says, when you do practice mindfulness to put aside your desire and your discontent in regards to the world. Well, why does he say that? Well, he says that because what gets us going is the desire and the clinging and the craving for all the things that we want from the world, which is all pleasantness and all the discontent we have and all the things about the world we don't like and we don't want. He's he's saying, if you're gonna cultivate mindfulness as a practice, you're gonna actually have to put that aside because that will chew up all your mental energy. And so what's left when you put aside desire and discontent in regards to the world, you're just kind of trying to tune into this neutral zone. The other thing that's important to, I think, just pay attention to is that 
I think by and large, this is the predominant experience we're having. Like if you just go through your day and just track the 14 or 16 hours of your awake, that you're awake, I would say that you'll probably start to notice the predominant feeling is just kind of this middle zone stuff. Just kind of like mundane, driving to work, making a sandwich, you know, like letting the dog out, you know, whatever, whatever stuff you do. It's not particularly pleasant or unpleasant. It's just like the stuff of life. And we tend to check out. We tend to not be mindful in those spaces. What we tend to do is we tend to think about the things in the future that we want and how we're going to get those things in the future that we want and the things in the future that we want to avoid and how we're going to avoid the things in the future that we want to avoid. You know, have you noticed that you do this when you don't have anything else to do? You just predict and control the shit that's going to happen and how you're going to either make it happen or avoid it from happening. He's missing out on what's going on because there's no, because you're confused. You just don't know. Actually, it's not your fault. We mostly just don't know what to do with this kind of middle zone. I don't know. What should I do? Should I send an email or watch a show or take a shower? I don't want to do any of that. I actually don't want to do anything right now. You know, I just don't want to sort of don't want to be here. I'm bored. This sucks. I'm unsatisfied. I'm not interested in anything. I'm not an interesting person. Whatever, whatever, whatever. You you get into your little narrative, you know. I'm sure you have several. I do. So, you know, this is like huge. So when we're trying to, what we're trying to do again is we're just trying to be mindful of it, to just generally be checking in and remembering to recognize how I'm feeling. Because if I don't, then that will eventually lead to probably some behavior that I really don't want to be engaging in anyway. You know, I mean, if, if, if you like, if you just scroll through Instagram, it's just one picture that you like versus one picture that you don't like. You know, and of course they don't have an unlike button. That'd be kind of funny, huh? I thought it'd be cool to make an Instagram where you could like, like you could hate on people's pictures. You know what I mean? But you can leave a shitty little comment if you really want to be a bad person. You know what I mean? But that's really what we're doing when we're scrolling. We're like, you know, we're we're looking for something to have. You know, it's either something pleasant to have or something bad in the world to get rid of. So we really want to try to occupy as I like to say these days, occupy the neutral zone. That's where all the good stuff is. You know, that's where all the good stuff is. That's where contentment is. And uh, I've been harping on contentment a lot lately because I think, well, first of all, my general analysis of society in general is people are deeply discontent. And you know what? Nobody seems very interested in taking responsibility for their discontentedness. You know? Like, how hard is it to blame conditions on the fact that you're discontent? Right? It's like super easy. And completely and totally unhelpful. Right? So a lot of the practice that we do in mindfulness and why this, this particular teaching in, in 
is so key is that I'm looking at how I'm feeling. I'm being honest with myself about how I'm feeling. I'm being honest with myself about how some of the some of the ways that I feel is kind of unattractive and maybe even hard to admit. But it's not my fault. It's not I'm I'm not creating the feeling. I'm just becoming aware of it. And and that shift first of all that shift will give you tremendous relief. I have found. I'm like it's just I it's like I I do it all the time. I'm like I'm like because what happens is like with these with these kind of feelings as they become more intense, the general assessment most of us have is that we need to do something about it. I don't like this feeling. I need to do something about this, and that's that. That's just kind of a bad move anyway, right? You know, so it's just like really just sitting with the ple- with the ple- with the unpleasant feeling, trying to well, what is it? Well, I'm I'm bored. I'm I'm apathetic. I'm you know I'm scared. I'm confused i'm you know i'm all these things and it's just like being able to recognize that um, feelings first of all aren't facts they're certainly not a representation of my value or my worth as a person and so it's just like can i just sit with how i'm feeling without needing to do anything about it you know which is like that's not easy but it's also actually not that hard. Anybody here, and, and, I want to, and probably most of you have done this, anybody who sat on multi-day silent retreat knows what I'm talking about. You know, you just, you just basically, basically what you do on retreat is you just learn how to sit with feelings, you know, because there's nothing to do on retreat. <laughs> it's like everything's removed. You're like, oh my God, another 45-minute practice session for me to just sit with my discontent. And when you sit with discontent so long enough, after a while, you're just like, it just doesn't bother you anymore. You're just like, yeah, this is just kind of how it is. You just get this like sweet acceptance of the fact that like, you know, life is ordinary. And that's probably the word that I would use. I think that's the best way to talk about this middle zone. It's just ordinary feelings. They're not special. They're not, they're just ordinary. They're just kind of, blase you know they're like eh, you know that kind of meh that people write that in text now m-e-h meh you know that feeling like how is that new restaurant you how is that new mexican restaurant in town meh it was meh. Meh. it's okay not really wasn't so good <laughs> but you see the you see the attitude behind that there's a lot of like negativity like yeah it was like it wasn't great so therefore it was terrible you know it, it, and i'll and i'll say this before we do some practice because i i don't want to go on and on because we have more weeks to talk about i just think this is like super important teaching that's not really unpacked very well by the meditation world but if there's a if you've ever seen it on netflix jerry seinfeld has a recent stand-up thing it's called like 23 hours or something like that and he does this skit that's just fucking hilarious he t- he does this skit called great and sucks and he says how how great and sucks are actually not that far apart he does this whole rant on it and it's just so good because it's so dharma you know what i mean it's like great and sucks aren't that different you know and so again a lot of it has to do with um the primary i think strategy here 
is to two things is to recognize how you're feeling and then see if you can relate to it differently or more skillfully because that's really what the general kind of teaching here is is how we're relating to how we're feeling it's not about how you're feeling it's about your relationship to how that feeling is manifesting and that's where see that's where your agency is that's what you can do so the buddha's keen on that he's like here's like, what you can't do so stop trying here's what you can do deal with it and he's a, that's why i think at the end of the day the buddha is just a pragmatist he's like trying to control the feeling mechanism is, is a fool's errand don't even bother don't bother don't ruin your life with all that shit. so then you then we get into the third foundation of mindfulness which is where we get into this kind of the chitta which we the whole abhidharma stuff we did a couple months ago is all this relating to feeling stuff so why don't we do we do some practice on this now and then we will um i'll have some questions and so forth sorry i talked more longer than i wanted to 